You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here for the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Annie, how are you? I am doing great, Father Hezekiah. How are you? My coffee is not cold. This is a blessing. You know, 95% that's... of the time I pick up my coffee cup, it got cold. But this time, <laughs> it's still warm. So at least it's warm. So well, I'm doing you know great. What? And I'm looking forward to our um, dive here for SGR into what is, what are we in the third Sunday um, after Holy Cross? Depends on how you count it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, um, uh, we have some beautiful text here from Ezekiel and the gospel of Matthew and so forth. So let's go ahead and let's share with everybody. Take down, you know, I just repeat again, you should have your notepads out. You should have your pens out. Your highlighters ready to go. Bible's ready. Boom. Close down the stupid phone. Okay. Give us our text here, Annie. First reading for the 26th Sunday in Ordinary Time is from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 18, verses 25 through 28. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 25. The gospel is Matthew, chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. And the epistle is St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And just to remind everybody why we do our our gospel reflections in this manner, whereas you get your lectionary at, at church, you're going to get the Old Testament reading, the epistle reading, and then the gospel. We're trying to take a little bit of a historical approach to our, our reflections. So we're looking at the gospel first and then the epistle. But here we are. Let's jump in this. Ezekiel. Yes. Ezekiel chapter 18. So let's turn there. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse... 25 through 28. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 18, verse 25. Let's start there. Verse 25. Okay, Annie, I think we're all there. Let's go. All right. Excellent. Here we go. Thus says the Lord, you say the Lord's way is not fair. Hear now, house of Israel. Is it my way that is unfair or rather Are not your ways unfair? When someone virtuous turns away from virtue to commit iniquity and dies, it is because of the iniquity he committed that he must die. But if he turns from the wickedness he has committed and does what is right and just, he shall preserve his life. Since he has turned away from all the sins that he has committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All right, Father. 
the Can first you, we the, need the context here because what the heck is going on the first thing is to uh is i think is a biblical principle that's really important that when we're reading the scriptures is to understand that there are two authors to scripture the lord and the human author yes and the human author is say inspired by the lord to express truly all that the lord wants him to say and express so infallibility in the scriptures is not to say that there aren't things which are said in the bible that are not actually true or accurate it's to say that the person is inspired by the lord to express this inaccuracy and i'm not trying to thread a needle i'm trying to hear me out on this to express his, express himself even though what he's expressing may be false right and this is this may be a good example right here's here's uh, you you say the Lord's way is not fair. Well, th that's not true, right? The Lord's way is fair. Well, this would be a, a, a false statement found in the Bible, right? But of course, the Lord's inspiring the human author to highlight this aspect of human nature or this aspect of the human condition so that we might understand more perfectly the truths of the Lord. And, I, and to make this point, I'm just going to point out to you your Catechism of the Catholic Church, which, Annie, you have right behind you. In paragraph 106, you can read this more on your own, but I'll just highlight a couple of points for you. Paragraph 106. Are you with me there, Annie? I am here. Yes. The Lord, uh, God inspired human authors of the sacred books. To compose the sacred books, God chose certain men who all the while he employed them for this task, made full use of their own faculties and powers, so that though he acted in them and by them, it was as true human, true authors that they that they consigned to writing whatever he wanted written and no more. And I'm going to go to paragraph now, uh, 109 and 110. The sacred scriptures, in, in the sacred scriptures, God speaks to man in a human way. To interpret scripture correctly, the reader must be attentive to what the human authors truly wanted to affirm and to what God wanted to reveal to us by their words. In order, paragraph 110, in order to discover the sacred author's intention, the reader must take account of the conditions of their time and culture, the literary genres in use at the time, the modes of feeling, speaking, narrating, uh, then current, and so forth. Okay, now I, I, so I share that with you to just, I think it was a nice opportunity there in, here in Ezekiel to say that really a lot of the scriptures is, human expression of of deep concern or challenges going on in life which is why the scriptures are oftentimes so applicable to our life because this this is the life of some those that have gone before us that have done this a similar thing like lord why me right which is which is exactly what's going on here right the yeah. Lord, you're so unfair to me. <laughs> it sounds like my teenagers. I didn't do anything to get in. Dad, this why do you hate me? I say, son, you're you're the one that didn't do the dishes. <laughs> I, I hate you. You didn't do the dishes. What do you expect? So here we are. Thus says the Lord. You say, Daddy, why do you hate me? But here now, house of Israel, my child. Uh, is it, is it my way that is unfair or is it rather the fact that you didn't do your job? Right? <laughs> okay. So this is what's going on. 
human expression extremely important. And when we're listening to scriptures, we have to get inside that and understand what's going on in the life of God's people, which is why I am always saying context, context, context. context. A text without a context is? No text at all. Bingo. So now you can ask your question, Annie. Yes. So what is the context here? There you go. Thank you. So again, we're in the prophets. We go do our little habit building that we've always done, which is chapter one of the prophet and chapter one, verse one. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Chebar, the, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth in the uh, year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, not Jehoiakim, but Jehoiakim. Hmm. Ooh, Second Kings, anybody? Chapter yeah. 24? Yes. Well, let's go. <laughs> Second Kings. And I, I normally go to chapter 25, but in this case, we have to go to chapter 24, Chapter 24, verse 1. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up and Jehoiakim hmm. became his servant. In three years, then he turned around and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent him bands of Chaldeans and bands of Syrians and bands of Moabites. Oh, the Moabites. Look out for the Moabites. Those are Jordanians. Jordanians. Yeah, I have these in my parish. Very dangerous people. And bands, I'm kidding. If there's any Jordanians listening, I love you guys. <laughs> I always get a kick out of this. The land of Moab. Okay. And the bands of the Amorites and sent them against Judah to destroy it. Um, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant, the prophets. Surely this came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. And also for the innocent blood, which he had, which he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the deeds of Jehoiakim mm -hmm. and all that he did, all they, they are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah. So Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and bingo, Jehoiakim, mm -hmm. his son, reigned in his stead. Okay, so I give you that timestamp. This is when Ezekiel's writing. He's in Babylon. He's been exiled. Okay. Probably with the first exile or the second exile, which is what which is what Fuentes says during the second exile in year 598, give or take a few years. Okay. Finds us in Babylon. And now we understand this first line. <laughs> Daddy, why do I have to be in my room for the next two hours and write a hundred sentences? Right? It's not fair. We're the Lord's people. I thought we were Yahweh's people. I thought God was going to protect us. And now I got I'm 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 over here in God forsaken Babylon, right? It's not fair. They burned my 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 house. They took my family away. I'm everything's horrible. God isn't acting fairly with his people. And now the prophet comes in and says, in the with the voice of the Lord, says, Really? You're telling me I was unfair when you're the one that didn't make your bed after I told you five times to make it, right? Because what happened prior to this is the key, which is that God's people were basically doing all the things they shouldn't be doing, 
right? They were worshiping false idols. They were doing all sorts of things. They weren't following the law of Moses. They weren't doing it. It was bad. It was bad. We've gone over that enough times. It was bad. And I'm sorry, if you're not going to live according to the rules of my home, you can go live on the street. I use this example all the time with my children. Because living on the street in California is not the place you want to be in Cal- in Sacramento, right? And uh, it says, look, these are the rules of my home. You wake up in the morning, you make your bed, okay? You have certain chores to do. We call them kingdoms, the kingdoms. Each kid has a kingdom, and they've got the kitchen kingdom and the dining room kingdom, and it's your kingdom, okay? If you don't take care of your kingdom, I'm sorry, you can't live in this home. These are the rules of how we live. And if you're not going to live how we live, then don't live where we live, because this is what we do when we live. That's what's going on in the broad context. Go ahead, Amy. Okay. Well, can you explain, like, this makes so much sense, what you're saying. How did they have this so backwards that that somehow this wasn't fair, that the Lord was being unfair and not just? Well, look, I, I'm not going to turn to passages right now, but but there's so many examples of them offering unclean animals on the altar of God, setting up idols. And the Lord basically says, do you think I'm blind? Yeah. Maybe they did. Uh, I, when am I quoting Haggai or when I'm quoting there, which is after the exile. But nevertheless, the thing, same thing is true, right? Is uh, And this is this is so applicable. Okay. Father Hezekiah is going to take a homily moment, okay, against the vending machine business. Do you think God is blind? Do you think he doesn't see you checking your cell phone during the homily? Do you think he's blind and doesn't see you reading the bulletin instead of worshiping him in in splendor and truth? Right? That's what was going on before the Babylonian exile. They they were going about as though God were not present. Isn't that what we've been talking about in our gospel reflections the last few few weeks, Annie? Right? The, The Lord is near. He's here. It's just a matter of whether we're trying to keep him at arm's distance. But he's here. He's not blind. He's seeing what we're doing. Right? He sees our sins and he sees the choice that we make for our sins. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And so we will be judged on this reality, on truth and, and justice because of reality. Yeah. And that's what's going on in Ezekiel in the life of, of Israel. They go to Babylon and things don't get any better, really. They, they find themselves yoking themselves to all sorts of false gods in Babylon and, and so forth. And Ezekiel, now, in chapter 18 is the first part of the book. Jerusalem hasn't fallen yet. But nevertheless, he's calling the people to repentance. And he says, look, if you would follow the ways of the Lord, then, and now, and this is gets to this other aspect of this, this reading, because he talks about living, right? We, you'll live. Well, they're talking about real situations here, right? I mean, Babylon is at the door. It's not looking good. And the only way for them to really find a way out of the situation they find themselves is to turn to the Lord. But they don't, right? Um, and, uh, you know, we've looked at Jeremiah chapter 34, for example. You go read that again about, about the release of the slaves and so forth. But they're not following the ways of the Lord. And therefore, the Lord seems distant to them. And all sorts of things are happening which are not supposed to happen. Right? I mean, isn't that the nature of sin? That, that that death is the reward for sin ultimately, right? God is not the the uh the author of sin. It is not the author of death. Listen to Saint Basil. 
Remember the compassion of God, how he heals with olive oil and wine. Do not despair of salvation. Recall the memory of what has been written, how he that falls rises again, and he that is that, that is turned away turns again. He that was smitten is healed. He that is caught by wild beasts escapes, and he that confesses is not rejected. The Lord does not want the death of the sinner. Remember this. Death is the greatest offense ever thrown in the face of the living God. Our, our, the creator of the world did not invent death. Death is the reward for us turning away from him, not God's reward for it, but the result of our actions. If I distance myself from my source of life, well, I'm not going to live, right? Yeah. Okay. The Lord does not want the death of the sinner, but that he return and live. Do not be contemptuous like one who has fallen in the depths of sin. Okay. So, uh, so this, when we're talking about life and death here in the life of Ezekiel, we're really talking about life and death. I mean, they're talking about whether they're going to get, whether, whether it's all, it's Jerusalem's going to get burned and everybody's going to be sacked and die most horribly. Right. But then it's applicable to our life also. Um, can I just ask one more question about yeah. this? Like in yeah. light of the people that, that are finding themselves in exile, um, maybe not necessarily by their own fault. Like, what about those that just kind of got dealt a bad? What, have, what about the children born in exile, for instance? Yeah. Looking yeah. at the Lord. Can you talk about like the idea of of personal responsibility, even when you've well, been dealt a bad hand in life? So this is this is this is certainly part of Ezekiel's prophecy. I mean, pro Ezekiel of all the prophets is like the I, I was re I was the way Fuentes, I was reading Fuentes again, yes. The way Fuentes has said this is, as he says, Ezekiel is the prophet of the exiles. Okay? Mm. And Ezekiel in particular in his writings is very much interested in the people of God realizing that the Babylonian exile is not all bad. That it actually is a medicine to bring healing to God's people. And if we accept it in that way, then it can become our, our salvation, right? And and we can understand this as Christians, that there are two ways to deal with this, the fallen state in which we find ourselves, right? That's kind of like what you're asking about, about Israel in that time. There are people that are innocent that find themselves in this situation. Well, yeah, I, I'm innocent of Adam's sin, right? I, yeah, I, I and uh, and maybe I can go after a little bit of a of a thing. I mean, we have this com this common conception I hear so oftentimes in certain hallways of theology. The the simple explanation that Adam and Eve fell, they, Adam and Eve sinned, and because their sin was against the infinite God, then only one who could offer an infinite sacrifice could appease the infinite anger of the infinite God. Therefore, God's, God, God's anger was only able to be appeased by the sacrifice of Christ. I've heard this. Literally, I heard this last week. But this is foreign to apostolic Christianity, our understanding of, of the sacrifice of Christ, understand, understand where we find ourselves. As one, one of my mentors said, this kind of understanding of the sacrifice of Christ and of, of the justice of God is it's kind of like cosmic child abuse. It'd be like this, okay? My um my uh my my son is out on the baseball field with with his buddy. His buddy hits the baseball through the neighbor's window, and I come out and I throttle my son, 
because I'm so angry and I have to get it out on someone, even though my son hasn't done anything, right? So this is the, the cosmic child abuse idea. So, so no, they're far from that, far from that. We are inheritors of a situation of a, of a fallen, a fallen uh, human nature. The question is whether we will allow restoration to take place in our life in the state that we find ourselves in so that God might become also our healer. Yeah. The Lord could have destroyed the sin of Adam. He could have wiped it out in a moment, but he didn't much like, I I like to use the example of my child who takes and draws a picture and objectively speaking, the picture is not well done. Right. I mean, they put a car and the wheels are oval and the thing isn't right. And, you know, but we receive it like a father receives it and a mother receives it. How beautiful. And then we pick up our child's hand. We help them try to draw a circle so that that child can become everything that we want them to become, right? This is how our, our Heavenly Father works with us. He finds us in the state we are in. He could have taken a piece of paper out of our hand and drawn it himself, but he loves us too much to save us without us. And this is what's going on in the life of Israel. Israel finds itself in exile as an opportunity not only to, to realize the condemnation and the sin of the people, but as an opportunity to realize their desire for communion with God in their heart and what that requires in their own life and the personal responsibility, as you said, Annie, that we must take to ensure that our hearts are prepared to have a real communion with God, not in a juridical courtroom uh, scenario, but in the family room scenario in which God wants to share his life with us, but he won't force himself, right? Mm-hmm. So, so now Babylon becomes an opportunity for preparation. And this is what Ezekiel is constantly prophesying. Get your hearts right with the Lord so that the situation you find yourself in becomes an opportunity for healing. Okay. All right. I love that idea. The the image of, you know, teaching the kid how to draw the circle, because it's like what we're asking in the responsorial Psalm, guide me in your truth. Teach me. For you are God, my savior. Yeah, Psalm 25. I recommend you go and read the whole psalm. And then you psalm, psalm it. That is you sing it out, (laughs) right? Psalm it. Yeah. And look, let's, let's, the word mercy can sometimes escape us. I I say this many times, but the, but that great quote from Pope Francis that, that mercy is love in action, right? And I, I wrote down in my notes, I saw that we're going to cover this psalm. And we cry out, remember your mercies, O Lord, right? Isn't that, isn't that love me, Lord, right? Love me, Lord, now pour down your life on me. Remember that you're, remember that you're compassionate, O Lord, and your love are from of old. Now, what is, what's going on here? That what is, what is King David writing down in the Psalms for us? He's recalling, he's recalling what God has done for his people, Right. Remember the Exodus. Remember the Lord's mercy on Abraham and on Noah. Remember these things, Lord, of how you acted. Remember, Lord, in my life, all the times that you interacted with me and and saved me from the situation I found myself in. Lord, do this again. Yeah, I invite you into my life now to do as you uh, be for you to be who you are in my life. And I open myself up to this. This is a beautiful prayer of St. Augustine. He says, please do remember me speaking to the Lord, but please do remember me, not in the anger of which I am worthy, but in your mercy, which is worthy of you. And this because of your goodness, O Lord, not because of what is due to me, 
but because of your own goodness. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Yeah. Maybe you can hit pause. Write that prayer down. It's a beautiful prayer for us this coming Sunday. I recommend you take a look at all of Psalm 25. Let's look at the gospel, Annie. Yes. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew. Yep. Matthew chapter 21. And we are starting today at verse 28. Nice. Verse 28 through 32. Yeah. That is correct. Okay. Matthew chapter 21, 21 verse, 28. verse 28. Okay. There. I got it now. Go ahead. Okay. Good. All right. Jesus said to the chief priests and elders of the people, what is your opinion? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. He said in reply, I will not. But afterwards changed his mind and went. The man came to the other son and gave the same order. He said in reply, yes, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did his father's will? They answered, the first. Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. When John came to you in the way of righteousness, you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. Yet, even when you saw that, you did not later change your minds and believe him. All right. This is Jesus's Ooh. reverse pile driver. Okay. What, <laughs> you know what a pile driver was and the reverse pile driver, you know, in the in the yeah. wrestling. Never mind. Okay. That was maybe I'm dating myself. Jesus just pulled off so the good. gloves. Okay, I'm gonna use another one. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he just he... pulled off the and 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 just socked them right in the face. And you don't get that. You really don't get that at Sunday Mass when you open and and you hear this thing read out of context because it just sounds i mean i don't know seriously i gotta challenge you this sunday when you're at mass you look around you is anybody listening to this <laughs> okay <clears throat> jesus just told off the jewish authorities I, he just told them to their face that they're a bunch of stinking bums and that they're gonna go to hell basically what he said right i mean so and and not only that there's they're worse than the worst right now who's the worst right who's the worst if you look around i don't know i'm not going to make any any point out any particular you know group of people whatever in our society today but it's the lowest a tax collector you knew collected taxes the tax collectors were jews okay they were jews who had decided that they could make more money working for the Romans, the enemies of God. I mean, the God-disgusting Romans, right? The God-hated Romans. And they went and joined them. And then how does the tax collector get paid? Well, he just taxes, overtaxes the people, and then he takes money for himself. So these guys were cheats. They were hated in society. And the prostitutes? (laughs) and he says you guys you pharisees you you guys are walking around you think you're all pious and holy and all of this stuff and you're reading the scriptures you're worse than the prostitutes oh jesus is doing this and here's why 
and this is critically important, and that is when is this going on? Yeah. Jesus, we we've been working on. Okay, Annie, we're going to do this right now, right? We got to do this. Well, we yeah. Contextualize. I, mean, I was going to ask you the context. Yeah. Yeah. We've so here you go. Over quite a bit of Matthew to get to this. So from, ch- uh, last time. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to pick up our thread from last time, chapter nineteen, verse one. You, you read these for me, Annie. Go ahead. Chapter 19, verse 1. Just verse 1. Okay, hang on. I haven't flipped my Bible yet. Annie. Chapter 19, verse 1. Go. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Okay, so there you go. He leaves Galilee. He goes down. We looked at this last week, maybe even the week before. Chapter 20, verse 17. Chapter 20, verse 17. And Jesus, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, behold, we are going to Jerusalem. And the whole thing's going to happen, right? They're going to arrest me. They're going to go, okay, fine. So he's now, he's gone to, he's gone to the area east of the Jordan. That's Mm -hmm. Jordan today, right? He's gone down the Jordan Valley. When it says, when it says back in 19.1, uh, Judea beyond the Jordan, you're just talking about maybe he went for a little hike up into the, you know, Judean desert area to the east of the Jordan River. But then he's not going to leave much, not going to leave the Jordan River very far. So he's going to go over there, Bethany beyond the Jordan area. Then he's going to cross over and it's going to say, when it might be very confusing here, actually, in chapter 20, verse 17, going up to Jerusalem. That's not technically speaking, climbing the mountain. Okay. okay. Going up to Jerusalem, you can go up to Jerusalem wherever you are. You are right now, you, Annie Mitchell, Cincinnati. If you were to go to Jerusalem, you would say, I'm going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is high, not because yeah. of the mountain, but because of what it is. Sure. This is it's a way it's a Hebrew idiom for journeying to the place of the Lord, yeah. Play place. And so, and and why is that important? Because in chapter 20, verse 29, mm-hmm. and as they went out of Jericho, well, gee, where's Jericho? Let's pull up the map right here. You can see the Jordan Valley. You can see Jericho. Here's right next to the Jordan River. It's right next to where Jesus was baptized. Okay, and it's right where Jesus would have crossed. Most likely, he crosses over. That's the, you know, it's it's a nice spot to cross over, and it goes to Jer- the city of Jericho. Well, Jericho is still down in the valley; it's not up on the mountain, right? So they're going up to we're going up to Jerusalem. Well, it means they're leaving their camp and heading toward Jerusalem. Then they go to Jericho because that's a little oasis where you get some fresh water for the climb. Because up from Jericho up to Jerusalem, it's about a about a day's journey and it's hot. Let me tell you right now, I was just there a couple months ago and I literally almost died. I ended up climbing down into this Wadi Valley area to the monastery of St. George. It it had to have been 120 down there. And in the church, it had to be like 140 because there's no air <laughs> conditioners, because there's no electricity. It was deadly. And so there we there were the there he is. He's goes out of Jericho. And then chapter 21, verse 1, and when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, now we're going to pull up the map here, and you can see Jerusalem, you can see the lay of the land, you can see the, the Kidron Valley here, and the Mount of Olives, and at the top of the Mount of Olives is the area called Bethphage, which is just toward Jerusalem, 
Uh, so just west, just west of Bethany, where Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so this is where Jesus lived during Passion Week. Okay, we don't get really a sense of that, right? You know, if you think, where was Jesus hanging out during Holy Week? Oh, he's going back and forth, most likely, to to Lazarus's house. And he is just going up and down the the mountain here. And those that have been to Jerusalem with me, if we you know we climb that area, it takes about from the Kidron Valley to Bethphage area, which is where like the Church of the Ascension is, and all of that up there. It's about a half an hour hike up the hill. Okay, so it's it's close. So he gets to Bethphage, and at Bethphage now, your view of Jerusalem. We'll show you a modern picture here. You can see the dome of the the rock and so forth. And across the valley is is Mount Sion, which is the area of the Essenes, which is most likely where Jesus directed the guys to go to go get his colt to go ride on. Yeah. Because the Essene community and the and the Lord were very apparently very close. This is why he went to the upper room, why he was able to to reserve a room there in the Essene quarter. It's because he probably had a, a close relationship with them. But here now in chapter 21, verse verse 1. He's on um, Bethphage. He calls for the colt. And in verse 9, the crowds went out before him, followed him and shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Bless you. He comes in the name of the Lord. Boom. What is it, Annie? Palm Are you Sunday. We're in the midst of Holy Week in this reading? We're in, yes, this is Palm Sunday. And wow. then verse 12, Jesus entered the temple he drove out he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple now here is where things go from bad to worse cuz not only are they saying he's the king right as he's coming down he's riding on the colt he's doing the right. palm sunday thing we don't have time to get into that right now he's doing all this stuff which is provoking them calling the king the messiah has come the messiah has come now he goes in and who's running the temple the same guys he's going to go get in a slugging match with in a couple of minutes. And he throws them out of the temple. And then, yeah, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. That's the blind and the lame. Those are the guys that aren't allowed in. Those are the guys that are, you know, stinky old homeless guy over there at the temple thing with a missing leg and he's begging every day and the pharisees are walking by them walking by them not attending to them and jesus now says come right because they have changed the court of the gentiles and probably also the court of the women into a a place where they're selling basically the faith they're selling bibles they're selling commentaries on scripture. They're selling studies in theology. They're selling courses in philosophy. They're packaging up new Bibles and publishing them for everyone to buy them. Then they're saying, oh, we'll send the biggest, most important Catholic speaker to your parish, but you've got to pay $5,000. And now you're going to have to pay $25 to get into the room. That's what they're doing in the temple. I'm obviously playing a little loose with it, but they're selling the faith, right? They're selling doves. They're selling all these things. And they're saying to the, to the people that need to be healed and to the Gentiles, get out of here. This place is not for you. So now Jesus gets in their face and starts turning their tables over, throws them out of the temple and 
now we can pick up with our text here. Did we look at verse 12? Yes, we did. We look pick up our text at verse 23, though. The text that we're given is verse 28, but you can't read it. That's why everybody on Sunday is going to be like, okay, you know, the word of the Lord. Yeah. No, verse 23 is the key. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Yeah. By what authority you throw me out of, uh, out of the temple? Right. And Jesus answered them. I also will ask you a question, you sicko. And if you tell me an answer, then I will tell you what you would, by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. And now he goes like this. Now he goes, I love it, right? Because the Pharisees refused the baptism of John. Okay, Luke chapter 7. You can take a look at it. I'll give you the reference. We're not going to look at it together. But Luke chapter 7, verse 30. Verse 30. Um, you can take out the Pharisees refused the baptism of John. And this is exactly what Jesus now goes against. And he knows by turning on them right now while everyone's listening. All our time together, it's been the disciples and the Pharisees on the outside, right? We've been talking about this in Galilee, all the way down, all these different factions, right? And Jesus has been talking to his disciples. But now he turns, he goes inside the belly of the beast. He walked right into the middle of the Pharisees and Sadducees and just nails them for everything they've been doing all the way up into Galilee. And to do that, because John was a primary issue in Galilee. These are the same guys. And to do that, he goes after John because he knows that all of those crowds that have been close to him have now been pushed to the outside. They're the ones. All of Jesus' followers are now on the outside. And the Pharisees and Sadducees are on the inside. And now he goes and lets the guys on the outside, that's his, his disciples, hear what's going on. And the Pharisees get scared because they're going to get attacked by the pious people who love John. So now Jesus puts John right in the middle of the story, holds him up for everyone to look at and says, see? What do you think of this guy? And if the Pharisees go against John, all of those people that are following Jesus to become his disciples are going to attack them and say, mm -hmm. and say, you guys are really rotten. And so now they won't be honest with the Lord. They won't, they, they won't be clear with him. They're going to pull an Israel of old. And that is they're going to pretend as though God's not watching. Right. And that's what, <laughs> that's, that's what now transpires. Sorry. Right. Put it. Verse 24, Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. And if you'll tell me the answer, I will tell you what. Da, 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 da. Verse 25, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, if we're honest, he will say to us, why did you not believe him? But then if we say from men, we're afraid of the crowds. Of people that are listening to what's going on here, for all hold that John was a, pro a prophet, and they won't follow us anymore. So they answered, "We don't know." <laughs> Liars! And he said to them, "Then forget you, because you're a bunch of stinking liars. I'm not going to answer you your questions to me." Verse twenty-eight. What do you think? Now, what's God going to do? And this is now our peace contextualized, right? So who's Jesus talking about in this gospel account? Who is the one that who's the one that said to said to God, no, 
I'm not doing it. But then later went and did it. It's the, it's the, the sinners, right? It's the Gentiles. It's all of those who have broken communion with the house of God, but that are now trying to come back into the temple to pray. This is all about what happened when he threw over the tables. The Gentiles are the fallen human nature who rejected their communion with God. But the second one called are the Jews who said, yes, Lord. We're praying in the temple. We're offering sacrifice. And yet, they're not living in a way at all in truth. They're not really following the Lord because oh, well, they're worshiping Yahweh. They're also worshiping Pacamama. Yeah? And so, the Lord calls them out for it. This is who it is. Yes, I will go. Which of the two did this follow the rule? The first. That's the, fair, that's the, 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 the tax collectors and the prostitutes. That you won't let into the house of the Lord. Therefore, you are not able to enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Yeah? So I hope that make, it helps make sense when you're reading this wow. gospel. Yeah? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's That was like, a long way of contextualizing. I mean, I'm, yeah. Well, I'm wondering, I mean, we know that they don't take the opportunity, but like, he was kind of giving them an opportunity to be that second son, right? Like they rejected John. They've been rejecting Jesus, but there's still the possibility they could turn around. These are the same guys that saw Jesus healing. They just saw him healing the blind and the lame. Yeah. Right. They just saw, they've seen all the works of the Lord. Right. Listen to St. John Chrysostom. And with this, there is also still another charge. The publicans were attentive and repented. But even after the publicans and the harlots had believed, you did not believe. You should have repented long before they did, but you did not do it. So you are deprived of all excuses. How unspeakable was both the praise of the one and the charge against the other. He came to you and you did not receive him. He did not come to them, and they received him. And you did not even learn from their example. Note in how many ways he shows that some are to be commended and others charged, but in surprising ways reversing expectations. To you he came first, not to them. You did not believe. They were not offended. They believed, and this did not profit you at all. You know. Annie, it's it's all about being honest with the Lord and not full of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Which is my teenager, right? Like as I explained earlier, right? So it's all about being being honest with the Lord, being humble uh, in His presence, and learning to walk in His ways. And this is the problem with Israel in the Old Testament, what Ezekiel is calling them to, and that is some self-reflection, to allow this experience to be medicine for them, yeah, to kind of finally come. And now I say this, I keep bringing up my teenagers. If you won't listen and learn, you're not, you're not going to, well, if you won't listen, you won't, you're not going to learn. You're not going to get better, right? If you're not going to learn from what has taken place, then how do you expect anything to change in your life? If you want it to get better, then open up your ears to what I'm saying and then correct your life. 
and it will get better for you. Yes, that's what's going on in the life of Ezekiel. Um, and that's certainly what's going on here in the gospel account. And the Lord's saying, you can enter the kingdom if you want, but not while you're living the way you're living. Right? And now we learn the ways of the Lord in the epistle, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2. Unless, Annie, you want to talk about anything else in the gospel? No, no. Fli you've good. covered it. Okay. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Very famous passage here in the epistle to the Philippians. Okay. Are you ready? Chapter 2, verse, verse one. 1. Yep. Brothers and sisters, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking out not for his own interests, but also for those of others. Have in you the same attitude that is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness and found in human appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think we can conclude with the words of St. Cyril of Alexandria. Um, in light of Ezekiel, in light of what the church has placed before us regarding the ways of the Lord, and are seeking those ways as we heard in last week's Old Testament reading. St. Cyril of Alexandria. He humbled himself according to the scriptures, taking on himself the form of a slave. He became like us, that we might become like him. The work of the Spirit seeks to transform us by grace into a perfect copy of his humbling. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.